This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The luxury home market in Canada is booming, and it's Zoomers who are driving it. They aren't just buying properties for themselves. The bank of mom and dad is allowing millennials to become homeowners. What makes a dream home these days? Ross McCready, president and CEO of Sotheby's Canada, will join me with fascinating facts about the market. Plus, the federal budget comes down in just over a week, and according to a leaked letter from the finance minister, the government intends to double the limit for tax-free savings accounts. I'll talk to financial guru Gordon Pape, who says that would be a godsend for Zoomers. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A court case in Iowa is putting the spotlight on sex and Alzheimer's disease. Henry Rayens, a 78-year-old former Republican state legislator, is facing charges of sexual abuse for allegedly having sex with his wife while she lived in a nursing home for dementia patients last summer. Donna Lou Rayens was Henry's second wife. The pair married in 2007. She passed away on August 8, 2014, a week before the charges were laid. State prosecutors argue that because she was suffering from dementia, she did not have the mental capacity to grant consent. The Alzheimer's Association of America acknowledges it can be hard to determine capacity in cases of dementia, but also suggests the implication that a spouse could lose all rights to enjoy life at its most fundamental level is troublesome. The trial began this Wednesday, and we'll bring you more on the story as it develops. A Dutch nursing home is bridging generations in an unconventional way by inviting university students to live alongside their senior residents. In exchange for small, rent-free apartments, the students are required to spend at least 30 hours a month acting as good neighbors. That includes a variety of activities, including watching television with residents, celebrating birthdays, and offering company when seniors fall ill. Currently, six students are living in the building along with about 160 Zoomers. It turns out the older we get, the happier we are. That's according to a survey done by Happify, a smartphone app that focuses on enhancing happiness. They found that at age 18, many people considered themselves quite happy. Happiness then started to drop as every year went by until it reached a low at age 53. But then happiness started to rise again steadily year after year through to the age of 85, which was the oldest considered in the study. And finally, a 100-year-old Japanese woman has become the world's first centenarian to complete a 1,500-meter freestyle swim. Miko Nagaoka took just under an hour and 16 minutes to finish the race. As the sole competitor in the 100 to 104-year-old category at a short course pool in Japan, Nagaoka only began swimming competitively when she was 80. Just last year, she published a book titled 
I'm a hundred years old and the world's best active swimmer. This wasn't her first attempt at the 1,500-meter race. She also completed the distance at the age of 99 in an Olympic-sized pool. But this time, she earned her place in the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The government appears poised to double the limit on tax-free savings account, bumping it up to $11,000. That came out in a confidential letter from the finance minister to conservative caucus members that was leaked this week. The idea has come under fire as a measure that would mostly benefit the wealthy. But Zoomer financial expert Gordon Pape thinks otherwise. I reached him at his winter home in Florida. I think it's a fine idea. A lot of people don't. and I know there's been a chorus of media criticism about it. But uh, I believe, number one, that the tax-free savings accounts are are a terrific uh, vehicle for savings and investing. Number two, the fact that our savings rate is very low suggests to me that anything the government does that encourages people to put more money aside is is a very good thing uh, at this point in time. Refresh us on how the TFSAs work and tell us why you think we need more room. Well, okay. Now, the tax-free savings account is very different from RRSP. In the case of the TFSA, any money that you put in does not attract a tax deduction. It's after-tax money. Once the money is in the plan, then it grows tax-free. When you make any withdrawals from the plan at the end of the day, they are tax-free. You can take the money out any time that you want. You can take any amount that you want out. And the interesting thing about it is that if you make a withdrawal, the amount of that withdrawal is added back to your contribution room in the next calendar year. Assuming you put it in something that's, quote, safe, you're not going to make very much on it. It's You're not really saving that much if you're saving the tax on some kind of interest-bearing thing, right? That is going to depend entirely on what you're using the plan for. Uh, you're absolutely correct. If you put it in something that's, quote, safe, unquote, uh, that would probably be a high-interest savings account or a GIC or something like that. Uh, then, no, with interest rates the way they are right now, you're not going to be saving a lot of tax. That doesn't mean interest rates are going to be at this level forever. They've been here for a long time, but they're not going to be here forever. And at some point in the future, those savings from interest may be much greater. But on the other hand, if you are using the plan to uh, to invest, say you're investing in mutual funds or the stock market, something like that, then you may be making a lot more money, and uh, I know many people have, uh, by the savings on the dividends you receive, the capital gains that you earn. These can add up to quite a bit of cash over time. What's the criticism? Well, the criticism is that um, the main people who are going to benefit from this are the, quote, wealthy, unquote. And... Um, I suppose that's true in the sense that you have to have some money to put into the plan. But you can make the same argument for really anything that um, offers any kind of tax relief at all. Uh, You could make the same argument for RSPs. Uh, And, uh, in fact, the RSP, you might even say, benefits the wealthy even more because you get a tax deduction. And the higher your income, the bigger the tax deduction that you get. Absolutely. So if if you're going to criticize the tax-free savings account, you might as well criticize the RSP at the same time. Now, is one of the advantages that ultimately when you use this money in uh, retirement or semi-retirement, it gives you a stream that you don't have to pay tax on, unlike the RSP? 
Yes, that, that's right. You have uh, tax-free income coming in. Another thing that's very important uh, for um, older people who are lower income, and th- this, uh, going back in history a bit, the C.D. Howe Institute was one of the early advocates of this plan in Canada, and one of the points they made was that when people make withdrawals from an RSP or for, from a RIF, and if they are low income and are receiving the guaranteed income supplement, for every dollar that they take out of a, an RSP or a RIF, they're losing 50 cents of their guaranteed income supplement. And the C.D. Howe Institute, in, in various uh, briefings that they, they published, made the point that this is not fair. You're penalizing people for saving. And so they advocated a plan that wouldn't do that. Well, the tax-free savings account is exactly that plan. For older people who are lower income, they can withdraw money from their tax-free savings account and not have any negative effect on their guaranteed income supplement or, for that matter, on the old age security clawback. Wow. So uh, that's really a good thing. That is. That, that's uh, one of the reasons why uh, I think it's, it's very important and it's overlooked uh, to remember that uh, for older people, uh, these plans are, are really a godsend. Also keep in mind the fact that you can't contribute to an RSP after age 71. So until the tax-free savings account came along, you didn't have any place that you could contribute money and, uh, and have it tax-sheltered. Now we've got the tax-free savings account, and I think it's a fair argument that, look, it's only a relatively recent thing. Why shouldn't older people have a, um, a better opportunity to build up some of their savings in here? Because they're only going to have relatively few years to do it compared to someone who's 20 years old today. Okay. Gordon Pape, thanks so much. Okay. You're welcome, Libby. For more from Gordon Pape, check out this month's issue of Zoomer magazine or visit the money section online at everythingzoomer.com. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break, and then it's back with a different form of investing, real estate. I'll be joined by Ross McCready, President and CEO of Sotheby's Canada. We all know that Zoomers do things their own way, and that is especially true when it comes to real estate. Instead of selling the family home and downsizing, many are actually getting bigger places while making hefty contributions so their kids can also get into the market. Sotheby's Canada crunched the numbers and tracked the generational trends in luxury real estate, and I chatted with President and CEO Ross McCready. The whole concept around the survey was to really understand specifically how they were driving a market and specifically in the four major Canadian cities. And how are Zoomers driving the luxury real estate market? So many of them are right-sizing, what we call, uh, who are actually selling the family home and moving into something that's a little simpler and less, uh, maybe not quite as large. And then there's the, uh, the other side that we're uh, upsizing, and, many of the, and this was a surprise, that many of our boomer uh, clients are actually selling the family home and actually buying even a larger home because they want to accommodate more family and they want to entertain quite a bit, but they're typically staying in the same neighborhoods. Uh, that is quite a surprise because, again, the expectation is you reach a certain age, you downsize, so they're actually buying bigger places. Yeah, and I think that's, again, it's, a, it's indicative of the fact that that generation happens to have done quite well financially for a number of different reasons. And, you know, they're coming to a point in their life where whether it's a, they see their home as a very safe investment that's done quite well over time, and they certainly see a, a very good opportunity to buy the, the home that they've always dreamed of, or actually many of them are actually building the dream home, and they're going to do it. They don't really care how much, uh, how much more they're going to use it. Uh, I see. Now, when you say to accommodate, are these uh, new upsized uh, family homes, are they going to be multi-generational? 
Well, I think what we do see is a lot of people want to use them to entertain, but they also actually, when I say entertain, they've got uh, children who come back with their grandchildren and things like that. So they want to have the size and flexibility within the home to accommodate guests. Um, many of our boomers are seeing their children move back uh, after a period of time when they didn't necessarily expect them to deliver them again. So you see that uh-huh. across Canada. So that's a, a big trend that's happened. And, uh, you know, the homes are reflecting that. And how big a trend is this upsizing instead of downsizing? Well, it's, it's quite significant, both in Toronto and Vancouver, that we've seen. And again, that was a finding that you know, struck to me that uh, I wasn't expecting to see that. But uh, I would say a good chunk of our clients are doing that right now. Mm-hmm, without hampering their own privacy. Yeah, and I, I think you know, having that flexibility and people thinking longer term about you know, what the phase of life that they're in and making sure that they can, quite often, they're looking to, to stay in that home for as long as they possibly can. Okay, so we're talking about one level, not too many stairs, that kind of thing. Yeah, or even many cases, uh, it's amazing the number of clients of ours who are actually putting elevators in their homes. Really? That's an expensive proposition. Well, it is. And, and in places like Vancouver, where you, you, people want to take advantage of the view, so you've got sloping um, lot lines and things like that. I mean, the only way you could stay in a home like that um, and have that type of uh, lifestyle for a long time is to actually put an elevator home. So we are seeing a significant number of homes with elevators now. The other thing that was really interesting in this survey is that not only are the Zoomers spending a lot on their own real estate, but a huge number of them are helping their kids buy homes. Yeah, and I think, again, that was the reason we did the trend, is to really understand why they're helping them, and what degree they're helping them. And in many cases, uh, Generation Y, is we're seeing as much as 70% of that generation is receiving some sort of financial assistance from their parents in order to purchase a home and get into the market. And how big a departure is that? Well, I, I don't think we've ever seen that transfer of wealth, um, or certainly that assistance, I mean, more in wealth, to that generation than any other generation before them. And again, it goes back to the fact that the baby boomer generation or as you call it, the Zoomers, are certainly the, the wealthiest generation that we've ever seen in Canadian history. But for the children or even a young urban couple that, um, or a professional couple to try and get into some of these markets, it's just out of their reach. So I, I think the parents recognize that and they want to help them out. And what is the size of the uh, help that the parents usually give? You know, it's, it's typically a good, I would say, sort of 60%, 70% of the actual deposit itself, uh, sometimes even more. And, and in many cases, we're actually seeing the parents actually having, you know, concerns around um, putting liens, for instance, or having a separate uh, or a second mortgage-type concept uh, with their children in order to get it paid back. Because they, they certainly want them to understand that this is a, a gift in some ways, but at the same time, it's, it's expected to be recognized financially. The sensitive topic there is typically, you know, death and divorce are two main exactly. drivers of the real estate market. And so I think somebody who's looking at their daughter who's getting married to a new son-in-law until they get a little more comfortable with that, they're very concerned about succession planning and making sure their daughter's uh, looked after financially. And in, in the case of and this generation knows that, uh, nearly 50% of uh, marriages end in divorce, so they want to protect themselves and their daughter in that case. And again, uh, so these are a big hunk of the down payment, and you're talking about a traditional 25% down payment, right? Yeah, most of our clients, we, wouldn't, we don't recommend anything less than 25%. Um, you know, real estate is a, a difficult asset class to buy. It's expensive to sell, and uh, I think people need to look long-term in terms of... Uh, where the costs are really going to be. And with an environment where you have interest rates as low as they are, and most, most of our baby boomers um, know and understand, they've seen many cycles, and they understand that money's never been this cheap before, and it, it's probably not going to stay this cheap forever. So uh, that's the concern. In terms of the type of housing or the type of neighborhood, um, how do the Zoomers differ from their kids? 
Well, I, you know, the Zoomers are definitely wanting to stay in the traditional neighborhoods. They want to they want to stay where they spent the last 25, 30 years. Um, they've got a lot of family and friends, uh, community centers, things like that, uh, clubs, private schools. They they really want to be around that. But you know, Generation Y, for instance, uh, is looking sort of the trendier, newer neighborhoods. Um, they're they're much more focused on transit. Uh, what we really found, even though family or a lot of this generation could actually afford to buy a car, they have no interest in buying a car. That's more of a trend that we've seen. And then in some cases, what we are seeing is that the, the baby boomers are actually moving closer to where the children are going to move. So you see that trend as well. Uh-huh. But, but it seems like both demographics want to be close to the downtown core. Absolutely. And, and again, those are, that's a phenomenon, uh, more specifically in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal to an extent. Um, but it, it, you know, the gridlock has uh, increased dramatically in Toronto. It's a very difficult city to drive around in um, for people. Tell me about and, it. Yeah, so people definitely want to be uh, close to the downtown core. And, and you know, what I would say is that the Canadian cities, uh, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, have become much more vibrant cities than they have at any time in past generations. I think they're cities that you really do want to live and experience uh, in the downtown core versus uh, Toronto uh, 15, 20 years ago was a very different city, I think. Right, so uh, it's a lot more fun to be down here. Absolutely. Okay, Ross McCready, thanks so much. Thanks, Libby. I've been speaking with Ross McCready, President and CEO of Sotheby's Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, we'll celebrate the 100th anniversary of the birth of Billie Holiday. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, the Emmy and Tony Award-winning Tyne Daly stars in It Should Have Been You. It's a musical comedy directed by David Hyde Pierce in which two very different families clash at the wedding of their children. It Should Have Been You is at the Brooks Atkinson Theatre. In Washington, an exhibit at Ford's Theater marks 150 years since the death of U.S. President Abraham Lincoln. The display includes the tiny pistol that John Wilkes Booth used, a blood-stained flag, and Lincoln's coat and top hat. To London, England, where one of the greatest British actresses of her generation is on stage. Emma Thompson stars in Sweeney Todd. And no wonder with the price of meat! The Stephen Sondheim musical is at the London Coliseum. And in Florence, Italy, see an exhibition showing works of some of the most representative and symbolic artists of the modern and contemporary art scene. Equilibrium is at the Ferragamo Museum. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week marked the 100th anniversary of the birth of Eleonora Harris, better known by her stage name, Billie Holiday. She led a tragic life, which ended when she was just 44 years old, after years of struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. She's often regarded as one of the most influential female singers of the 20th century. She's known for her hit renditions of songs such as Embraceable You, Fine and Mellow, Pennies from Heaven, and the powerful Strange Fruit. She's a member of the Grammy Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and has been honored with her own stamp by the United States Postal Service. Although she's no longer with us, a hundred years after her birth, her fragile, raspy voice stands the test of time. Right now, we'll hear one of her most famous songs from her 1956 album, Lady Sings the Blues. Here is 
God bless the child. Them that's God shall get, them that's not shall lose. That was Billie Holiday singing God Bless the Child from her 1956 album, Lady Sings the Blues. April 7th marked the 100th anniversary of Billie Holiday's birth. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Next week, I'll be joined by Margaret Trudeau to talk about her new book, The Time of Your Life, Choosing a Vibrant, Joyful Future. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited, executive producer Moses Snymer, produced by Paul Thomas, program director John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.